For as long as I can remember, I've been told that prosperity preaching is wrong, that it goes against the word of God, and that it is, in essence, a sinful way of thinking. But is that true? In today's episode of Hardcore Christianity, Jerry and I will attempt to explore the question, is prosperity preaching twisting the Bible? We'll talk about what it means when we use the term prosperity preaching. We'll examine if there is a biblical support for some forms of prosperity preaching. We'll discuss the dangers of the prosperity gospel, and we'll see what the Bible says about God's obligation or desire to prosper us. If you've ever questioned whether prosperity preaching twists the Bible, you want to stick around for this episode of Hardcore Christianity. Well, Jerry, I want to welcome you back for another episode of Hardcore Christianity, where we'll be talking about prosperity preaching. You ready to get into this? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So the question we're exploring today is, is prosperity preaching twisting the Bible? So before we get into it, though, let's talk about what we mean when we say prosperity preaching. What, would, what comes to mind when you think about prosperity preaching, Jerry? Well, before we even get to prosperity preaching, I think about prosperity and our culture and what we define as prosperity. Uh, I think in our culture, and it's probably a general uh, definition, but it has to do with wealth and material possessions. And when I think about biblically prosperity, it has more to do with um, peace and uh, joy and things that don't come from uh, having more, but being grateful for what we have. Definitely. that I, I agree with that. But when we talk about <clears throat> prosperity preaching, I'm thinking that that's talking about the prosperity that humans think of, that we think of, the monetary prosperity or being blessed. Well, we use the term blessed sometimes when we mean prosperity. But let me talk, let me share what the, uh, <clears throat> the definition that Wikipedia had. I know Wikipedia is not like the Oxford Dictionary, but I think it really does a good job of explaining what the prosperity theology is. Uh, so here's what it says. It says, prosperity theology is a religious belief among some Protestant Christians that financial blessings and physical well-being are always the will of God for them and that faith, positive speech, and donations to religious causes will increase one's material wealth. I thought that did a really a really good job of explaining it. But then religionandpublic.blog goes even further. They say, uh, put even more simply, obedience to God and generosity to the church will lead to a life blessed, not just spiritually, but materially as well. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about uh, prosperity preaching, the idea that if you give to the Lord, if you uh, are generous to the church, then in turn, you will be spiritually or more obvious is the material blessings that you will get from that. Uh, just one thought. You mentioned it was uh, just Protestant, but uh, in the um, the information that we have looked at, there is uh, a graph and it shows that Catholics as much as Protestants. So uh, that it's not just a... Um, just something that it works with pro or that uh, Protestants are guilty of, but Catholics and the Jewish faith. I mean, and it and goes beyond just even maybe a Christian faith that there are other faiths involved as well. That's a good point. That's a good point. So when we talk about prosperity preaching, I suppose any religion can do it. So it's not specific to the 
Protestant Christians, but the theology is still the same. And let me share with you some quotes from famous prosperity preachers. Here are a few that, uh, that I'm, I pulled up. This is one quote. Some people come to me and say, well, I came here to get some peace, not money. And I tell them, you need money, otherwise you ain't going to get any peace. Another quote is, some people say it's about peace, joy, and love. No, it's about money. Here's another quote from a prosperity preacher. The Lord told me this is the end time message. He is coming to look for a church without spot or wrinkle. But one of the biggest wrinkles the church has is being broke. And one last one is, God didn't create you to be average or poor. So those are just a few quotes from some of the prosperity preachers um, that really preach the idea uh, that prosperity is, I think, what they're saying. It's, it's, a, it's almost like a representation of your faith. Um, I look into that those quotes and say, well, if you are poor or if you are um, not wealthy even, then maybe there's something wrong with your faith or maybe there's something wrong with your belief because you should be prospered. God wants to prosper you and something's getting in the way. I did read another quote that, uh, that I didn't list here, but was saying something to the effect of if you are poor, then there's something wrong with your faith or that there's some, that, that you, that you are battling some kind of spiritual thing. I don't know. Something about the idea that money, if you, your the money that the prosperity monetarily reflects your spiritual walk or your faith. What about someone who is content? <laughs> well, that wouldn't be prosperity in their in their mind. <laughs> so it's uh yeah, you know, this is a dangerous. I I like this topic because I think that um let me let me just say that there was one time when I was a uh, just really green, a very new believer and one that wanted to do the will of the Lord. And one of the, we had this one outreach where we were to uh, witness to people who um, were not believers and who are now saying, okay, I want to be a believer. So we're supposed to go to them and talk about, you know, what it means to be a Christian. And at that point I had been taught that, well, if you're a Christian, God will turn your life around and everything will be great. And so that's the kind of pitch I gave them. And even in my mind and heart, I knew it was was not right. But that's kind of the way I was taught, or at least how I believed that it was supposed to be done uh, to share your faith with someone else. You have to kind of as if you have to sell God, like you have to sell this as some great thing you're going to get um, that's going to improve your life, where um, the Bible is clear that uh, there's going to be persecution is going to be hard uh, you know, Jesus was persecuted, you're going to be persecuted. And um, it's not all about what you can get. It's it's about a, a lifestyle, a life change, um, how God can turn your life around, but it doesn't mean necessarily prosperity. So I think that these things either overtly or subliminally are taught to us, uh, many of us, about what it means to be a Christian. God will take care of all of your needs. He will, he will take care of you. He will bless you. He will do these things if you just simply become a Christian and have the faith enough to believe in that. The one word that you mentioned was sell. And I, I was um, listening to a, uh, it, it was a sermon that a guy had given and he was talking about if we have to sell ourselves on an idea, we probably really should think about, uh, and if I have to sell this, I mean, if, if I can't speak it and they accept it and are, are, uh, feel good about it, if I have to actually physically sell them on it, 
then I got to really think about, is this something that I should even be telling them? Mm -hmm. Uh, It should be something that's easy for me to share. Now, whether they believe it or not, that's up, Mm -hmm. that's between them and God. But if I, it's easy for me to share because I truly believe it, then that's something I, I feel comfortable sharing with them. But if I have to sell them on the idea, if I have to come up with reasons, then I'm a, a little more skeptical if this is something I should be doing. Yeah, I think in the, uh, back then I, I did not consider the idea that it really is the Holy Spirit that draws man into himself. It's not us. You, like you said, we don't have to sell it. The Bible sells itself. God sells himself. There is no need for us to uh, to make it more attractive because for those who really need and who who God does place on their heart the desire for him, that's all they really need. So why are we even asking this question, Jerry? Why is it important to talk about prosperity preaching, would you say? Well, in the culture that we live in, uh, so many things... And, and we've talked about it in other episodes that uh, our culture to some degree has become more secular, having less reliance on God. And to look at anything that replaces God becomes a God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read a book one time by Kyle Eidelman called God's Little G at War and talking about all the things in our lives that in effect become gods. We don't call them that. We don't have a little, a little wood idol or something, but materialism, uh, power, money, gambling, addictions, whatever it might be, we spend, and if we took, uh, the question is obvious, if I open up my checkbook or look at my day timer, what am I spending most of my time on? And we get caught up in having, first of all, trying to impress other people with what we have, but ultimately it's our relationship with God that should be most important. And he doesn't need to be impressed because it's all his anyway. <laughs> well, I think that uh, it, we really need to, as believers, consider who we're hearing our messages from, who we're being preached to, uh, who, who we're hearing from, who we're putting our faith in, that they are really hearing from God, that they are really, that their words are really lining up with what God wants, wants to be said. Uh, religionandpublic.blog had this um, to say. They said some of the most influential evangelicals on Twitter are prosperity preachers. Um, so they really do have a platform and they um, are telling people what they want to hear, these the whole itching ears and people hearing what they want to hear. So we need to be aware of those um, wolves in sheep's clothing. Vox.com uh, says that a 2006 Times poll found that 17 percent of American Christians identify explicitly with the movement, while 31 percent espouse the idea that if you give your money to God, God will bless you with more money. But a full 61 percent agree with the the more general idea that God wants people to be prosperous. Again, we need to define what prosperous is uh, to to what to. Identify whether that is a righteous thought or whether it is a sinful thought. But I think it's interesting to point out or at least to examine that people, there's a lot of people who really do buy into the prosperity gospel, that if you give God money, that he's somehow obligated uh, to give you money, more money. And so 
Uh, we'll talk about what the Bible says about that later on in the show and whether there are even some uh, biblical support for that or if it's just a whole bunch of twisting of the Bible. But the idea, I think, here as to why it's such an important question and uh, such an important topic to tackle is that we need to be aware of false preachers, uh, those who are telling us things that are do not line up with the Bible, even though it can be twisted to see that is lined up with the Bible. So I think this is a really important topic to talk to tackle today. It was interesting when you were saying that, that um, I remember a friend of mine, uh, this was probably, I was probably in high school, so quite a few years ago, uh, when the lottery first came out. And I was over to my friend's house and we were talking and his dad was there. And uh, he said, yeah, uh, I prayed that God would help me win the lottery and that I promised I would give half of what I got to the church. And uh, it was like, if I am willing to give half of it away, then I should be blessed with the other half. Mm -hmm. and well, but what's worse, that sounds like that was his, his whole thing that he had conjured up in his mind. But when you hear preachers talk about it, when you true. hear preachers support it, it gives it even more validity that what, that, that kind of thinking is correct. So what are your personal thoughts about prosperity preaching? Does it twist the Bible in your mind? Yeah, uh, I, I think it does. I think that if God's not enough, then whatever we have beyond that will never be enough. Uh, I remember hearing a, a guy speak one time, and uh, he was talking about um, Rockefeller. And he said, they asked Rockefeller, who was at the time the richest man in America, how much money does it take to satisfy a man? <laughs> And his answer was one more dollar than whatever I have. <laughs> yeah. And, and I see that in our culture. Um, if I have, if I have something, well, then I need a newer something or I need more of something or, uh, the, and we talked about earlier, the word contentment doesn't come up much, mm -hmm. uh, to be satisfied with what I have and to appreciate the blessings that God has given me, as opposed to looking at what I don't have, because quite frankly, as Americans, we're in the top. You know, the statement I heard before was, if you make an average wage in the United States, you're in the top 5% uh, of wage earners in the world. Hmm. Mm -hmm. But we don't tend to look at that. We tend to look at, well, I don't have as much as, and you know, name the person, whether it's a movie star or a um, financial person or a athlete or whatever. And, uh, you know, I had a person ask me one time why I don't buy lottery tickets. And my answer was, if I won, I don't think I would like the person I would become. Hmm. Uh, without that money, mm -hmm. I am more comfortable with who I am. I, there's areas I would need to work on, but, but I'm more comfortable now and if i had all that money and, and people don't think about these things but all the um stresses that having that money put on you uh the relatives you never knew you had uh, the opportunities people <laughs> have for you to give for their cause and they're all oh, good yeah. causes and and all the other things that come with that we think it's going to bring us happiness and there's so much pressure that comes with it I, I hear many more stories about people who won a lottery that become bankrupt. Mm 
mm-hmm. and and they wish they never won the money. It, see, it is our human nature. It is human nature to want more, as you were saying, one one more dollar than what we have. And I think that believers, I mean, really, in my opinion, it doesn't take even a mature believer to understand the pitfalls of prosperity preaching. If we're looking at the idea that it is sinful human nature to want more, to be greedy, to want to be selfish. And if prosperity preaching is encouraging that behavior, (laughs) to me, it's automatically a red flag. But anyway, here are uh, two things that I think as far as my, my thoughts on prosperity preaching. The very idea of prosperity, uh, m- prosperity as, as, as um, defined by the preachers of how, needing more money, getting more money, getting more stuff. Um, the very idea of prosperity makes us feel more independent, not more dependent on God. The very idea of being of the prosperity preaching flies in the face of what biblical teaching is. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 through 9, it says, Two things I ask you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep ha- keep falsehoods and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and dishonor the name of my God. I love that verse because it really shows that if we really did get what we think we want, all the quote unquote prosperity that we're that we think God that, that we should get because we're believers and that God wants what's best for us is really not what's best for us. And we need to remember that God knows what's best for us, even though we may think it's money or things or the next, the new car or whatever. Because if we get it, like this verse kind of alludes to, we may have too much and disown him and just say, who is the Lord? You know, if we have a lot and we become independent, then we don't feel like we need God. And that's one of the things that he was praying that God will not let happen to him. And that's the very same thing that prosperity preaching says that we should want and desire. The second thing is, is I think it is wrong because this kind of teaching implies a quid pro quo, that if we give money, then God will give even more back to us. It implies that a good motivation for giving is getting something in return. And that too flies directly in the face of biblical principle, because with most everything, God really wants our heart. And if we are doing anything for him with a wrong motive, even if on the surface it seems good, we are in error. So it implies that we should have that we have this selfish heart instead of contentment. And then what you were kind of talking about with being content, that's really what the Bible wants us to be. It is like saying that if I do this for you, you are obligated to do this for me, making God more of a genie in the bottle than our Heavenly Father. It promotes the wrong heart and it promotes the wrong motives. Um, and if you think about the poor, poor countries and some of the believers are even more righteous than we are, and yet they are still poor. They're not prosperous like these prosperity preachers say that if you have the faith enough, then you should have all these things and you should be prosperous um, health-wise and monetarily. Uh, it goes directly against that. So um, I don't just think it's wrong. for prosperity preaching, I think is actually sin. It promotes selfishness and it promotes the love of money. Uh, There's a a verse in Ecclesiastes that I I think speaks a little bit to that. It says, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. In fact, it's Ecclesiastes 5 verses 10 through 12. 
Uh, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have they to their owners except to see them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. As we talked about earlier with Rockefeller, there's you never have enough, and it doesn't matter what it is you're chasing, uh, you know, whether it's a, an addiction or a relationship or whatever, you're always looking for that next thing. And mm -hmm. when we can step back from that, get out of that rat race. In fact, there was a book by Patrick Morley called The Man in the Mirror. And he had a quote in that book that went something to the effect, have you ever met anybody who ever won the rat race? And the answer is no. So then it's, well, why do we get involved in it? <laughs> mm -hmm. That's a good, good question. It's a good way of thinking. Yeah, I, I just, um, when I think about prosperity preaching and I think about the dangers and that I think about uh, when I, I don't know if you've, when you looked and did some of the research or how many people belong to these churches where they're prosperity preaching, how many people have bought into the idea that God kind of somehow owes us something relative to our faith in him and how many people are being led astray by false preachers. And I will call them that because it does. I mean, there's not, there's really not much that, su that supports what it is that they're saying without the twisting of it. And when you consider the character of God and the things that are being preached, they don't line up. They don't go hand in hand. So there has to be something that prosperity preaching is saying that is either kind of right or taking something that twists the Bible. So is there anything or what do you think prosperity preaching gets right and why? Um, well, I, I do believe as we live faithful lives, we are blessed. But we too often in, in a prosperity gospel would teach the blessings are financial. But they may be anything but financial. I mean, I, I think of being getting married and the blessings of a wife or a spouse. I think of having children. Uh, I think of uh, volunteering opportunities. And I've said this about volunteering that uh, for me, I happen to volunteer out in the jail. Nothing I've ever done in life except having a family has been more fulfilling than going out to the jail. And I've had some, you know, I've had some decent jobs and okay money. I've had some things, but they're just things. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I think of, when I think back as to what's important in life, the things that stand out to me are relationships, the people that I've had in my lives. Um, my parents have been gone now for about 17 years and what I wouldn't give to spend one day hmm. with my parents and mm -hmm. just sitting and talking with them and, you know, and thinking about life. I agree with you 100%, Jerry. I think that um, when we think about prosperity, we need to define that the way God would want to define it. Um, God, and this is the one thing I do think that prosperity gets right, which is basically what you said, is that God does want to bless his people. The difference is, is that God's definition of blessing someone or prospering someone is different than this these prosperity preachers about money and um, uh, wealth and, and just being able to have more, it, which goes, people cannot, we as human beings cannot righteously accept that kind of quote unquote prosperity. 
because that will corrupt us. God knows that. And so if that is our pursuit or if that is even our expectation that God will give us as a measure of prosperity, then we really need to question what we're thinking about our God and what he thinks prosperity is. I mean, John 10, 10 does say the thief comes to only to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. But God's definition of blessing, I think, is like what you're saying, peace, joy, contentment, those kind of things that um, that help the soul, but not help the, you know, the material. Um, sure, we do need material things. And yes, I do believe that God can bless that. That can be one of the ways that God blesses us. But to pursue um, financial gain for the sake of becoming wealthy, I think, is a sinful mindset. Um, there may be people who really have a Christian righteous mindset when it comes to wealth, uh, that they can be generous with it, that they can be good stewards of it, that they can use it to glorify God. But I think for the most part, uh, not just believers, but humans in general um, have this greed instilled in us that we want it for ourselves. And if prosperity means a selfish way of thinking, a selfish way of, of living, then that you have to know is not uh, righteous or good. So the one thing I think prosperity preaching gets right is that God wants to bless his people. But the way that they twist that, I think, is 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 really wrong. So what do you think um, prosperity preaching gets wrong? And why do you think that that, that, that is? Well, I would start with a, a verse out of Matthew, verses six, or chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where the treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. And the more I chase after money, that's where my heart is. Um, when I kind of forget about money uh, and, and I'm more concerned with relationships and the people in my life, I get blessed in ways. In fact, uh, with my volunteering... The days I absolutely don't feel like going because there's a lot going on or it's whatever reason I'm tired or I know I'm supposed to go. I, this is where God called me. I never leave regretting I went. Hmm. I always get blessed. And in fact, I, I always say, I hope the guys that I talk to get blessed half as much as I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that uh, here there's plenty of ways. I, I mean, I'm not going to go through all the reasons, but I'll point out some of the highlights as to why I think that pros where prosperity preaching gets it wrong. Uh, so first off, I would say that we're supposed to be like Jesus, right? So nowhere in the Bible did he promote or pursue this type of prosperity. In fact, he warns against it. In Luke chapter 18, verse 25, it says, Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And if that is true, we have to consider why is it true? And I think it's because financial prosperity promotes the feeling of independence instead of dependence on God. It promotes the notion that we don't need God. And the very idea of belief and faith is to grow closer to God, to become dependent on God. And so if our pursuit is prosperity, financial prosperity, if that is what we think that God will reward us with, that can lead to sin. 
And why would we want to pursue that? Why would we think God wants that for wants that for us? I mean, there are some, t- you know, money can solve some problems. It can, it can bless us in some ways and uh, it can get us out of jams. It could be a blessing. God can do that. And I've heard him do that in several occasions where um, people need money and they don't know how they're going to make ends meet. And then a check comes in the mail that they didn't expect, or someone gives them something that they weren't asking for. But I think that is different than what these prosperity preachers are are projecting. That yes, is a blessing from God. And yes, it is financial, but it's not for the pursuit that uh, the prosperity preachers are are promoting. Crosswalk.com says, yes, God loves you and wants to bless you, but he'll do so in his own ways, according to his will, not yours. Contrary to what the prosperity gospel claims, God hasn't promised to bless all people with good health and plenty of wealth if we ask him or uh, for it in faith. Instead, God has promised something better, his presence. You can count on the fact that God will be with you no matter what. But trying to manipulate God into giving you something, uh, to giving you what you want, simply won't work. And I think that probably the most obvious verse that I would guess that prosperity preachers twist is Luke chapter 6, verse 38, which says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I think this has been really twisted because it is this is still not talking about a quid pro quo. This is talking about the generosity of the heart. Uh, for one who is not selfish, it says give. That's the first thing it says, give and it will be given to you. But it's not it's not just so that you can be prospered, so that you can be rich. It's um, it's a verse uh, of um, of generosity. And if you don't have a generous heart, then why would you think it's good for God to give you money so that you can be independent of him or at least in your mind think you're independent of him? And as you mentioned before, I, I, you know, I think a lot of people say, you know, if I had this money, if I won the lottery, I'd give half to the church. I don't know if that's really true. A lot of people say they would do certain things if they got so much money. But our human heart, our fleshly, sinful heart, if we put to the test, we probably will fail. If we get all the money we want, we probably would do something, as you said, that you're afraid that if you you, you don't know who you're afraid of who you might become if you get it. I think that uh, a lot of people might find themselves in that same place. If we are able to really get what we think we want, then we'll grow further away from God, not further, not closer to him. And prosperity preaching is all about getting. It doesn't talk much about giving unless it is giving to the church. Yeah, I take a look at uh, the lifestyle of the people who promote prosperity teaching. And I see a lot of excess. Uh, I see a lot of abundance in um, not only excess, but uh, bigger and fancier and whatever than needed. I, I mean, I, you know, you only need some, so much house, you only need mm-hmm. so big a car or, or so much on a car, a Chevy gets you to the same place a Rolls Royce does. Uh, <laughs> it's just that one is a little more expensive and maybe impresses a little more, but who am I trying to impress? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are just so many dangers to prosperity preaching. So, um, you know, maybe we could point out some of the dangers of prosperity preaching. What would you say some of the dangers are? Well, the big one for me is the more I have, the less I depend on God mm-hmm. and the less I even think about God in some cases, because the more I have, 
I have to be attentive to that. You don't own things, things own you. <laughs> it's a saying that I've heard. Mm-hmm. And if I have a nice car, well, I got to take care of that car. I got to, you know, whatever. If I have a boat, of course, I got to go out on the weekends and use it. Why well, have it if I don't use it, right? Or mm-hmm. if I have a vacation home, I got to spend time there. And uh, I can't uh, be involved in helping in this uh, whatever opportunity because I got to be spending time with whatever it is I have. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just, it draws my heart away. And uh, the farther I get away from God, the easier it is to continue to move away from God. Mm-hmm. So if I can, if this can pull me away a little bit, then all of a sudden the next thing is easier to go to. And the next thing, and next, and then soon after, in not a very short period of time, I'm way away from God where I never intended to be, but it happened a little bit at a time. Right. Absolutely. I like what crosswalk.com says. It says a popular message is influencing many Christians today. It's often called the prosperity gospel because it claims to give believers good news. If they have enough faith, they can get the kind of lives they want from God, including good health and significant wealth. But the prosperity gospel is actually bad news because it twists biblical teaching so much that people who trust its message may miss out on the hope that the real gospel offers. Don't let the prosperity gospel fool you. It's only when you place your trust in the real gospel, the one proclaimed by Jesus in the Bible, that you have a life that's best for you. And I think a lot of times we don't know what we really, what's best for us. A lot of times we pray for things that aren't best for us. And we get upset when God doesn't answer our prayers. But if God knows more than we do, and he knows what's best for us, he created us, he knows our proclivities and and what what, uh, causes us to sin. Wouldn't you think he would give us what's best for us, not necessarily just what we want? I mean, even like a father with a child who wants all these games and these these toys, uh, oftentimes the father, what's best for the child is not to give them those things or make them earn it themselves or uh, whatever. But there there could be a, just because we want something, just because it's desirable, doesn't mean it's good for us. And I think that prosperity uh, preaching promotes that. And as you were talking about where um, people who live extravagant lifestyles who pre- preach these gospels, at what point are they giving to the, the needy? At what point are they taking their fortune and doing good stewardship with it uh, by being generous as what as what God would really want someone who's prosperous to do? And I don't see that very much. But I do think that if we if we want to have a heart that is in step with the Holy Spirit, we need to be discerning enough to understand when the Bible is being twisted to reach our itching ears. Because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them great numbers of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And I think that that is where we're at with these prosperity preachers and the prosperity gospel of just hearing what we want. Of course, we want to hear that God wants to give us stuff and get, and make us rich and make us and make sure we have no health problems and and doing all these things for us. If only we have enough faith. But that is not what the Bible teaches us. So I have a strong feeling that we just have to deal with uh, the idea that there that there could be truly wolves in sheep's clothing and that the very people who are supposed to help us get closer to God are doing the exact opposite. It was interesting when you were talking, you mentioned about uh, we feel like God doesn't answer our prayers at times. 
But my thought is God always answers our prayers. We just don't like the answers <laughs> because no is an answer. Not now is an answer. Maybe later is an answer. And yes is an answer. We, we go in with a preconceived idea of what the answer should be. And it's not God's idea. It's our idea. Mm-hmm. And when he does what's best for us, it's not always the way we want things done. Amen. Uh, the second thing I was thinking of, and this, I don't know anything about this man's faith, but uh, if you're familiar with Warren Buffett, the, the billionaire or multi-billionaire mm-hmm. investor, he still lives in the same house he bought in 1950-something uh, in Omaha, Nebraska. And when they asked him, uh, somebody asked him one time, he said, when you die, are you going to give all your money to your kids? And his answer was, no, I will give them enough so that they can do something, but not enough that they can do nothing. Hmm. I like and, that. Uh, he didn't say he's going to give away the rest of his money. And I don't know where that's going to. He has causes and things that he does. But it would be interesting to do a study on his faith background and to see where that lines up as far as his whole uh, view of wealth. Hmm. That's, I like how he, how he's, he put that. That's really good. <laughs> but yeah, that's certainly something that we need to consider. We need to consider um, what prosperity actually means from a biblical point of view. Anyway, when we come back, we will discuss what the Bible says about God's obligation or desire to prosper us. We'll try to identify a few red flags that may reveal that you are being taught by a prosperity preacher, and we'll attempt to answer the question, if prosperity preaching is contrary to God's intent, what does that say about our God? So stay with us. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts about this episode, or if you have an episode topic that you'd like to hear us talk about on the show, feel free to drop us an email at writecmv at hotmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-C-M-V at Hotmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Listen to half-hour episodes of the Christian Music Podcast online or download them to your computer or mobile device and take them with you. Discover independent Christian artists while exercising, commuting to work, doing chores, or any time you need to get your Christian music fix. Just go to ktfproductions.com and find the Christian Music Podcast link to access the Christian Music Podcast. Boldly proclaim your faith while also supporting the Hardcore Christianity Podcast. Find Hardcore Christianity t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, smartphone cases, pillows, mugs, and more. Just go to the Hardcore Christianity page at ktfproductions.com for links to the store. Today, Jerry and I are attempting to answer the question, is prosperity preaching twisting the Bible? In the first part of the show, we discussed what Americans think about the prosperity gospel. We shared our personal thoughts on the subject, and we explored the dangers of prosperity preaching. In this segment, we'll begin by discussing what the Bible says about God's obligation or desire to prosper us. So, Jerry, what does the Bible say about God's obligation or his desire to prosper us? Oh, there's uh, one verse, and uh, it says, Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, Tell us, 
prosperity is the state of those who have a good reward for their labor. And unfortunately, we want prosperity without the labor in many cases. That's why we see so much, uh, you know, people buying lottery tickets, uh, uh, the proliferation of online gambling. And I was amazed how quickly, once they legalized the ability to have online gambling in Michigan, how often you see a commercial. I mean, particularly if you're watching a sporting event, it seems like every time they go to a commercial, there's something about online gambling. Right. Uh, and like with any sin, they always show the, the good times. And before they actually did the online thing, they were talking, uh, they would show uh, advertisements with people going into casino. They were generally young and attractive and having just a great time. <laughs> they didn't show you the older person sitting at the slot machine, just mesmerized and losing everything that they have and walking out with nothing. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, obviously it's advertising and, and they want to put it in a positive spin. But in a way, that's kind of the way the prosperity gospel is. It's mm -hmm. putting things that God didn't necessarily say, trying to put it in a positive spin so, to uh, advance their agenda. Well, it's kind of like they're trying to sell something to you. We talked about this earlier about selling the gospel, but it feels like they're trying to entice you uh, by saying, hey, you can get rich by uh, if you have enough faith. If you, if, you, if you grow closer to God, that means you're going to have a better life. You're going to have all this riches. You're going to have all your wants are going to be and your needs are going to be met. And that is not biblical. And so by trying to sell something like that, I, I agree, man, that is just, that's crazy. So I have a few verses too, that I actually found, um, that I think, uh, just talks about God's heart on the matter. We already talked about, um, John 10, 10, uh, that basically is talking about that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but that he has come that we may have life and have it to the full. That to me explains and, and, and demonstrates God's heart for us. He wants what's best for us. He wants for us to have life and have it to the full. And he knows that there are some things we can't handle and some things that we will pervert, uh, even if it can be used for good. Uh, one of the verses that uh, that stuck out to me was First uh, Timothy, chapter six, the second part of five through ten. And this is talking about false teachers, and they say they are of corrupt mind, who have been robbed of the truth, and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we bought nothing into this world, and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into the temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered, wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I think that is a really good verse to highlight basically what we're talking about today. There's one another verse in Philippians chapter 4 verse 11, the second part of 11 through 12. And this is what Paul, Paul is actually saying is he says, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So we hear from Paul that we need to pursue contentment. 
not riches. He was content in any situation, uh, whether he had much or he had little. So the idea that we should pursue much um, is not biblical. It's not, it's, to me, it's not even necessarily good for us. I think in our human, um, when we're out in the world and we and we want a better position in our job, we want better things for our family. That I don't think this is that's what this is talking about. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have good things, but I think that there that the that the heart, the pursuit of it, um, above uh, that, that that we think that we will find our our happiness and contentment in that. I think is where we are in error. I got a couple more verses to share, and one's from Psalm chapter 119, uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the Lord, the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. So I bring that verse up because it's talking about blessing versus prosperity. It says, blessed are those whose walk is blameless. That's what's blessed when you're blessed is when your walk is blameless according to the, the law of the Lord. And it says, blessed are those who keep his statutes. God wants to bless us, but blessing and prosperity may be two different things in his mind. And the last one I want to bring up is Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, which says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, uh, but to serve and to give his, his life as a ransom for many. So if we want to reflect Jesus Christ, then the prosperity gospel is not what we should, we should try and, and uh, pursue. He was a servant. We should also have the servant's heart and want to serve others. So those are a few verses that I found and, and pointed out. Uh, one of the things with uh, prosperity is it's easier to move up than it is to go down. If I've had something, I get used to it and it's harder to do without it than it is to add something when I haven't had it before. And I think about different people I've read and, and even experienced in my own life that because my children didn't grow up, uh, go back one, when I was a kid, there was a, a time when my dad had uh, gotten off the boats and become a policeman where he wasn't making much money. And we didn't have a lot. We didn't do without what we absolutely needed, but we didn't have a lot of extras. Mm -hmm. With my kids, they grew up with uh, where my wife and I were a little better off and we were able to provide a few extras in addition to, and it would be harder for them to go back or to go and do without than it would be for my wife or myself because we know what it's like to do without. Mm -hmm. They haven't experienced that to the same degree. And I think as a culture, in many cases, we're in the same spot where um, we have had most of our needs met, maybe all of our needs met, and a, and a few of our wants. And it's hard to, like, uh, I would go back to 2008 when we had the, the recession. There were a lot of people that struggled with that because they weren't used to doing without. Mm -hmm. And by not striving after all that wealth, if you go through a downturn like that, it's a little easier to 
make it through because you're not depending upon the money to get you through. It's your faith that gets you through. Mm -hmm. I think that we as believers need to try and really reflect and think about what contentment means in our lives. What does contentment mean to me? What does contentment mean to you? What does it look like to be content and understand what that is? Because we had talked about already in this in this episode about what we think uh, God wants for us, which is joy, peace, contentment, those kind of things, and not necessarily the monetary um, things that really can lead us astray. So I think that uh, it would do believers well to to consider what what would contentment look like in my life, and try and pursue that. I mean, is it really money? Maybe there is a level of uh, of income that would make you feel more content that you don't have to always worry and stress about, you know, living paycheck to paycheck or making, putting food on the table. I understand that those, those are, are legitimate concerns for many people. And maybe that is where, um, you would find contentment. Um, but that too, isn't extravagance. That is God meeting your needs and that they are legitimate needs. And as you were talking about, I mean, how much money do you need before you have enough money? Um, but then there are also several other uh, things that make up our lives that will make us content, like you had talked about family and 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 spouse and and a lot of other things that bring us joy and contentment, hobbies and friends, a lot of different things, relationships, all those different things can help us be content. Even Paul, as we read about, um, found ways to, to be content. And it didn't, it wasn't contingent on his income. It wasn't contingent on how much money he had. So I think that it would do us well to find out what prosperity, biblical prosperity looks like in our lives. And I know that we'll find that it's not an extravagance as far as um, being blessed by monetary things. So what are some of the red flags uh, that we should be looking for that we can identify when we're talking about non-biblical prosperity message? I think when we look or when a when a minister or a, a preacher talks too much about money, not from a um, giving as a benefit to us, but as a need that we've got to do all these things when we start looking at having bigger and better facilities or whatever. And, and there's nothing wrong with those if they're done for the right reason. But doing it because we're trying to impress whatever or and again I, we talked about it earlier but i think the a lot of the ministers that i see that give this type of message live a lifestyle that i wouldn't point to and say there's a christian mm -hmm. and uh when i say that it reminds me of when when i was uh after my mom had died and I was talking with my dad, and my dad really wasn't a, a strong man of faith. But there was an older gentleman that was in our community. Uh, he, he was a minister at one of the, the Lutheran churches. His name was Reverend John Christensen. And I remember my dad saying this. He said, if I was ever to point at one person and say, that's a Christian, it would be Reverend John. And Reverend John never had much materially, uh, but he was always at the jail, uh, ministering to guys in the jail. He was always at the hospital, delivering, or, you know, ministering to people in the hospital. And the, the saying about Reverend John was he marries him and he buries him. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, he was just a person that was willing to reach out and, and help whenever he could and uh, just a gentle soul. But it was interesting because that's the one guy my dad and in not being a strong man of faith was going to point to and say, now that guy, I would call him a Christian. Mm -hmm. And see, we need to reflect the nature of Jesus. And that is a reflection of the nature of Jesus. And that should be our pursuit. And prosperity preaching does not promote that type of thinking, that type of, of desire. I like what it says in ministrytodaymagazine.com. It says it had and this and had an article that pointed out seven signs of what they call prosperity pimps. And it was written by a man named Joseph Matera. And I, I like these. I, I think that this is these would be uh, great things that would be that would raise red flags. Some of what you had already mentioned, Jerry. One of them is when the focus of the ministry is always raising money. Uh, so you kind of mentioned that, too. Another one is is when money is used to obtain a blessing. And that to me, I started that one because that to me is the direct reflection of prosperity preaching. You give us money, you'll get a blessing. Another one is when the leader lives lavishly off the church salary. We had already talked about that too. Having mansions and multiple cars and you get, you, you name it. If you go in and just kind of look at some of these prosperity preachers, you'll see that they live a life of extravagance. Uh, and another one is when the Bible is twisted to prove a point. And uh, that is another one. I should have started that one too, because I think a lot of prosperity preaching, if you look at the Bible for what it was intended, if you look at the verses of what God intended, what it, if you look at it in context, even you'll understand the heart of our God, but you can take scripture and uh, just take a verse here, take something there and twist it to mean something that is not what it was intended, even though on the surface, if you read it word for word, it may sound like it's saying that, but that's not what it's intended to say. Mature believers understand the character of God and understand the context of the word. And so when biblical, when the Bible's being twisted to prove a point, that is a big sign of uh, prosperity preaching, even wolf and sheep's clothing to begin with any kind of any kind of negative that we would say this in the church, but specifically prosperity preaching, since that's what we're talking about today. Another one is when only certain biblical topics are preached. And another uh, example is um, when there is no financial accountability. I like that one too. And lastly, they say uh, uh, the seventh sign of prosperity pimp pimps is when the needy are not empowered by the ministry. So keep those in mind. And if you want to look at that, look that up to kind of remind yourself of these points is ministrytodaymag.com. And it's the seven signs of prosperity pimps. I think you did a really good job of showing some of the some of the red flags that you can look at um, to see if you are being ministered by someone who is a prosperity preacher. And I would say personally that I think it's the motivate the, the, when the motivation is selfish. That is a, 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 a sign, a red flag is when we're promoted to do something for selfish gain, when it stirs your heart for uh, fleshly pursuits. Our hearts should reflect the heart of our God, which is to love him and to love others. All other pursuits, not birthed out of need, is off point. We had our, I already mentioned that there are some people who really need financial blessings uh, to even to, to live. To, to, God says that he will not have his people begging for bread. Um, that may be that his solution is to is to financially bless you so that you don't have to do that. Maybe bless you with a job, bless you with whatever. 
But that's just one aspect of blessing. It's not the end game is not for us to be financially wealthy. We may need a miraculous healing, but we may not need a new car. <laughs> so there are some things we need and then there are plenty of things that we want. So I think that those are uh, a lot of uh, a good um, red flags that we can see uh, when we're thinking about prosperity preachers. So what would you say to those who just soak up all forms of prosperity preaching? Well, first I'd ask the question, you know, what are you chasing? What is it that's lacking in your life that makes you chase whatever it might be from a prosperity perspective? Um, if, if I've got contentment, if I've got fulfillment, I don't need to chase uh, these things that I don't have. Uh, and as you were saying, one of the things, uh, and it happened regarding debt, but uh, it was as Americans in particular, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even care about. <laughs> and we get caught up in the, oh, I, I've got to have this, I've got to have that. We watch too much TV that has advertisements that are set up to make us discontent, mm -hmm. to want things that we don't really need. Uh, how often have we bought something, paid whatever money, maybe even bought it with cash, and then never really used it after that? Uh, it sits in the closet or it, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever. And if we were willing to maybe think a little bit longer on something, in fact, one of the reasons I like spending cash for things is because for one, I'm Dutch, Irish, Scottish, whatever enough. It is hard for me to pull those dollar bills out of my wallet. The credit card comes out a little easier or the debit card. But when I have to put those dollar bills down, I start thinking about, well, do I really want this thing? And uh, I remember as a kid when my parents didn't have a lot of money necessarily, and maybe the TV broke. And at the time, you didn't go out and buy a new TV. You had your TV repaired they would wait until the they had the money in order to pay that TV repairman. And when I find that anytime I have to wait to buy something, a couple of things happen. Sometimes something more important comes up and I need that money for something else. Sometimes I realize I don't even really need or want that thing and why spend the money? I mean, there's just we are we live in a society that's a an immediate gratification type society and we never have to truly for the most part have to think about what we're doing we just go ahead and do it mm -hmm. uh and and that's where prosperity will lead us to not having to think about it when i'm uh, closer on my finances i have to really think do i want to buy this item over here or do I want to save that money because I know my kids need a new pair of shoes or whatever that other thing mm -hmm. might be. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's part of the blessings of not chasing those dollars is because it makes me at least contemplate what I'm doing with my money. And uh, am I listening to the Holy Spirit? Am I willing to give away what I have? It might also make you appreciate what you have a little bit more too. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think about that at times, you know, how much am I willing, truly willing to give away? Mm -hmm. uh, we in America, 
we tend to give what's convenient. And people will talk about tithe, and that's a checkbox for a lot of people. Okay, I gave my 10%, that's it, I'm done. What if God's calling you to give 12 or 15 or uh, the special need or whatever? But I mm-hmm. gave my 10%. And and it's not a checkbox. It's where's my heart at? Uh, you know, where, where my heart is that or where my treasure is, that's where my heart will be also, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, am I am I at that point where I will or I'm willing to give maybe beyond just an excess, my excess, but even a little bit into my need. Mm. And that's where you start to get, uh, okay, now it's getting real. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, one thing absolutely. about giving that couple extra bucks I have in my pocket, but you're asking me to give the money I was going to go off to lunch on. Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. I'm not so sure about that one. <laughs> well, I, you know, I hope this podcast is helpful to, to many listeners because this is really a topic. Yes. Prosperity preachers, but it's also, um, a, a episode about contentment, understanding contentment, and uh, just understanding false preachers. Um, all of these things will help us build us to be uh, more Christ-like, help us to train ourselves to think about biblical principle, about how Jesus lived, about helping us to be more like him and less like what we think we want to be like. So, yeah, I, I would, you know, I would say to someone who wants to soak up all forms of prosperity preaching, this is something from worshipinspiritandtruth.net. It says, think about this. Did the disciples and apostles receive an abundant life the way the prosperity preachers proclaim? Definitely not. They went through great persecution and tribulation for the gospel of Jesus, and they were killed for their faith. Now, I would also say to consider the character of God, find out what he likes. And I've said this, and I think in other episodes that we should find out what he likes and we should pursue it. We need to find out what he hates and we need to avoid it. And I think if your true motivation for, for prosperity is to be generous to others, then you may be in step. But if, but it is human nature to want to pros, prosperity for ourselves. And I think that these prosperity preachers are banking on that. We want greater things, bigger houses, better cars. Uh, we want all these different things, nice clothes. We want to be, you know, able to walk out in society and people look at us and say, man, that person is doing financially well. Um, but that is not, if you look in the Bible and you see all the saints and the people who are, you know, just amazing people of God that we want to emulate, very few of them prosper like this. I mean, you have Solomon, you have King David. These are people who are kings and they had a lot. Uh, but uh, Jesus and the disciples and so many people, like even slaves like uh, Daniel and Ashad, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a lot of these people had nothing. And yet um, they were able to reflect the character of Christ. So we really need to think about that. One thing you mentioned with Solomon, Solomon's wealth eventually did have a negative impact on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was supposedly the wisest man in the world, and yet he got seduced a little bit by his wealth and uh, all of the things that he acquired, and not just things, but but wives and everything else that drew him away from God. And uh, I think, I mean, as, as much as the Bible uh, wants to draw us to God, it, it doesn't. Everything's not picture perfect. And God uses examples of things that uh, that are negative 
in order to help us see if we go this route, this is you know what we're going to be looking at. And uh, mm-hmm. I think Solomon's probably a good example of things we might want to avoid. Absolutely. Great point. I mean, even him, he, the, he allowed uh, all of these things that he had put his faith in and put his money in and energy, wives and all these things to draw him away from Christ and worship other gods and do things that he would not normally have done if he were pursuing godly biblical pursuits. So if, if there are forms, if there are some forms of prosperity preaching that twist the Bible or are contrary to God's intent, what does that say about our God? God never forces us to follow him. We're not puppets. We're not uh, made such that we have to do exactly what he wants us to do. He has shared with us different ways that we can be blessed. And it's not always financial. But if we follow God's teaching, we will have a better life from a contentment perspective, maybe not from a worldly perspective, but we have to decide, do I want a worldly life or do I want a godly life? Mm -hmm. And uh, who am I truly following? Absolutely. I think it also says that God wants our heart. He wants our motives and our dependence to reflect the nature of his son. Uh, The very intent of prosperity preaching goes against that. Our, Our heart, it goes against that because uh, our heart reflects what our desires and our what our desire and our, our is, and our motives reflect why we desire it, and our dependence uh, reflects that our need for God. So, if we are pursuing prosperity, uh, the the prosperity preacher's definition of prosperity, then our heart and our motives and our dependence all draw us away from God, not toward God. And I know uh, I have to say, you know, I think we kind of alluded to this too that. During the course of this episode, we're coming from a place of prosperity. I am not in want. Um, uh, Americans are richer than most, as you said. But even among Americans, I'm not currently in need. So I know there are some people who have these monetary needs. uh, But I still think that the sentiment is true about these prosperity preachers. We still should not be pursuing uh, financial prosperity uh, according to their definition of prosperity. And I think uh, hopefully through the course of this episode, that has become evident that prosperity that God wants us to have is worlds different than the prosperity that these these prosperity gospel preachers are are promoting. It was interesting. The one thing you talked about, um, you know, if, if prosperity gospel is true, then why aren't churches in poor areas doing better financially, the people and the churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, very godly, devoted people, and yet they're not blessed materially, but yet they're doing more to promote the kingdom than a lot of these prosperity-type teachings. Yeah. I mean, their faith is amazingly high. They have to depend on God. And see, I think that is a major difference is that in America, you and you see it, we see how prosperous we are financially. And we struggle sometimes to find that dependence, that need for God. Whereas people who are um, financially less, they are dependent on God. I mean, they do depend upon him just for their daily needs, uh, for a lot of the things that we take for granted. And I think that that's to their benefit 
spiritually. It's not to their benefit worldly, but it certainly makes sure that they have the right mindset and that they're dependent upon God. And the prosperity gospel helps us or promotes the idea that we should be independent of God. So what are some of the takeaways that will help us become more hardcore in our faith from this episode, Jerry? Well, it was interesting as you were just talking, one of the things that came to mind is something I, when I'm talking to guys in the jail and they call it the gift of desperation. Mm. And most of us don't think of it as a gift, Mm -hmm. but when we're desperate, we pray differently, we think differently, we act differently. And, uh, I think it's important that we not lose that um, sense of, uh, well, what's the word I want? Um, well, desperation for lack of a better term, but, but that um, on fire for our faith, uh, we become lukewarm way too, too easily. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, one of the things in that parable, when he talked about the church being lukewarm, it wasn't that they weren't doing good things. They were just comfortable. They, mm-hmm. they had their needs met. They weren't, they weren't reaching out and helping the poor or, or doing whatever. They were just comfortable. And uh, I think that's, in many cases in our culture, that's what we look for. We look for a place where, for, uh, talking about a church, we go to church that we can be comfortable. We... Uh, Maybe we get a good cup of coffee or whatever, hot chocolate. Uh, we uh, have some good singing and good musicians. We uh, hear a, a, an okay message. Uh, we get done. Maybe we get a donut. And when we walk out, we haven't changed. Hmm. Uh, we're just as comfortable as when we went. There was a, a sermon I heard probably been about 20 years ago now, but talked about the church has left the building. And the, the church is not the building we go to. And it's not a, a thing that we do once uh, a week for an hour or whatever. It is the people in the building and what we do with our lives. We are the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. And what are we reflecting to the world? Mm-hmm. Are we out grabbing money or are we sharing the gifts uh, that we have to make the world a little bit better than when we, where we found it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that uh, struck me as we were going through this is be more concerned with your faith than your wealth. Your wealth can be lost very quickly, but if you're walking closely with God, you can survive life changes, challenges, and even financial struggles. Jesus never had many worldly possessions, but his life had more impact on the world than anyone in history. Yeah, I think that uh, one of the things that we should walk away from this episode is to learn, uh, we have to learn contentment. Uh, and we have to reflect the nature of Jesus. And prosperity preaching doesn't promote contentment, and it does not reflect the nature of Jesus. And I also think that we need to be discerning and know preaching that is counterfeit. I often say this, but the FBI, you know, one of their one of their roles is to identify counterfeit currency. And what how they do it is they don't spend their time trying to find out all the different types of counterfeit money. Instead. They learn how uh, the authentic money so well that they can spot a counterfeit. So I think that mature believers, I don't think it's a stretch for them. I don't, I don't think it takes much time for them to be convinced that prosperity preaching is bad and to spot a prosperity preacher is twisting the word of God because 
they don't have to look and see, okay, well, who's the false preachers? Who are the, uh, the wolves in sheep's clothing? They know the Bible so well that when they see it, they know that it's counterfeit. And I think that we as believers need to know the Bible so well that when we hear something like what is being um, promoted by prosperity gospel, that we, it is obvious to us that it is wrong and that it is not biblical. So I think that that is one of the things that I would walk away from this episode. Learn the Bible well enough that you know counterfeit preaching. And I believe that mature believers are already, you don't have to convince them that prosperity preaching is wrong. Um, and also to learn com uh, contentment. So I think we'll leave it there for now. I just want to thank all of you who are listening to this episode and took time to spend with us as we explored the question, is prosperity preaching twisting the Bible? I hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to join us next time as we explore another challenging topic from a Christian worldview. But until then, I encourage you to make every effort to keep your walk hardcore. See you soon. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts about this episode, or if you have an episode topic that you'd like to hear us talk about on the show, feel free to drop us an email at writecmv at hotmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-C-M-V at hotmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hardcore Christianity is produced by KTF Productions. Thanks for listening and God bless.